Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. As we come to chapter 9 in John's Gospel, you come to a very significant miracle in Christ's life. Now, the Apostle John is very careful to use these miracles in his Gospel because they designate the deity of Jesus Christ. You see, it is God who does miracles. And in now in Christ performing these miracles, there is verification of the claims that he has made. Now, in chapter 9 of John's Gospel, we come to a very strange yet very interesting passage. It's the healing of a blind beggar. Now, healing is a fascinating and important subject to us. You know, from the time we are born in this world, the process of decay begins, and you zero in on what some call Boxing Day, which is the day you meet the pine box. Healing occupies, therefore, much of our concern because in life, we do everything we can to keep this dying, decaying body alive and functioning well. Healing is an important part of our prayer life. Healing is an important part of religion. I mean, just look at some of the crowds that these so-called healers can attract. Healing is an important part of the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm proud to say we have a vast network of hospitals and thousands of doctors and medical staff and that make significant investments in the area of healing, trying to stop the process or at least slow it down or alter the process of decay. Now, that is exactly what Jesus came into this world and he did. He performed miracle healings. But you see, that is not a problem for him because he is God and the very nature of God demands that he be supernatural. A miracle is no big deal if you happen to be God. It's God injecting himself into human history, altering the natural course of human law to affect a certain result and then moving right back out again. I mean, so, for example, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus went right back and he lived the normal life and later died again. The miracle happened in a point in time, and then everything went just right back to normal. And so when Jesus heals the man here in chapter 9, it's a miracle pure and simple. It is divine action upon two blind eyes, the instantaneous recreation of functioning eyeballs and all that goes with it. Now, chapter 9, it deals, the whole chapter deals with this story, but we're going to consider only the first 12 verses. They are very simple. You can understand the story just merely by reading the verses. But what I'd like to do on this program is look at four aspects of this divine healing. There are four aspects of this healing that I would like you to consider with me right now. We're going to call them the problem, Right? what it is that precipitated the healing, the purpose, why the man was blind to begin with, the power, how it happened that he was healed, and the perplexity, the result to the people who saw the healing. So we're going to focus on the problem, the purpose, the power, and the perplexity. Now, first of all, let's notice the problem. 
And so we meet it right here in verse 1. So we're going to turn to John chapter 9 and verse 1. And here's what we read. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, <clears throat> Jesus has just left the temple. Now, if you go back to verse 58, 59, actually, in chapter 8, you're going to see that Jesus was just in a toe-to-toe -to -toe confrontation with the Jewish leaders. And then verse 59 says, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So they've become so incensed, so infuriated at Jesus that they've grabbed the nearest stones and they're ready to throw them at Christ's head to kill him. And he, he, he makes his escape out of the temple. And as he goes out of the temple, he sees a man, not an ordinary man, a blind man who very undoubtedly was in that location for the purpose of begging. He was a blind beggar. You know, there's a beautiful parallel to this blind beggar in Acts chapter 3, where you have the man who was paralyzed from his birth. Peter and John confronted him, and he was begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And Peter and John healed him in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, like, the power is always divine. Now, both of these men were beggars. Both of these men happened to be at the temple. Well, the temple must have been the place to beg. And I imagine it would be a good place to beg, right? If you wanted to beg, you'd probably find the best reception at the temple. And good people went to the temple. People who might be disposed to give something away went to the temple. People who were conscious of their sin went to the temple. You know, they're coming, they're making sacrifices, and they would probably feel a little bit more charitable. It was also a place where people came to do deeds of kindness and to do deeds of charity. And so the ones who needed those deeds would be there to receive them. The temple was a crowded place. There'd be a lot of people, and so your odds were pretty good with all those people that you would find someone willing to give. I also think it was probably safe. and You'd be protected from the muggings, right, with all of the religious leaders there. And so the beggars would be there at the temple. It was, was not uncommon. So as Jesus passes by, he sees this particular blind man, and then one of the greatest miracles in all of Scripture happens. He heals him. Now, that's only the beginning, because after Jesus heals his eyesight, he heals his soul. But that'll be a topic for another program. Now, you notice that the blind man could not see Jesus. No way, impossible. He could not see Jesus. He wouldn't have known if Jesus had just walked right past him. He would not have had the slightest idea. But that's not how sovereign grace is like. Sovereign grace dominates this miracle. See, it's not the man running to Jesus saying, Oh God, heal me. No, it was Jesus who saw him. And that's exactly how sovereign grace works, isn't it? It's Jesus seeking us. We could not see him except that he saw us. We are absolutely blind. 
We have no capacity to see God, no capacity to see Jesus. We are incapacitated. We are stone blind in a spiritual sense. We cannot see. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, just keep your finger there in chapter 9. John, you're going to come back. But in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and verse 4, we read, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I think this story is a good illustration of sin, as good as there is anywhere in the New Testament. We cannot recognize God. We cannot recognize truth. We are blind to spiritual reality. We do not seek him. He sought us. We have no capacity even to behold his glory. He had to reveal it to us by his own touch. That's how grace works. Lost man, blind, sees no God, sees no truth, sees no love, sees no nothing. Jesus comes along and looks at that blind man with compassion in his heart, with love in his heart, and he comes over and he offers grace and spiritual life and light to that man. That's sovereign grace. He must give sight for we could not see him in our sinfulness. Sin is a blinding thing. So we see the problem, a blind man. You know, it's actually kind of a beautiful thought that Jesus had time for this man at all. You remember the circumstances? He is running for his life. Jesus is trying to get away from being stoned, but he is never too busy to stop, to gather up a blind sinner and bring him along. That's the way it's always with Jesus, isn't it? He's always concerned about the one who needs. And so now we look at the problem, uh, the purpose in verse 2. This is an interesting thing. John chapter 9, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, what kind of a question is that? You mean to tell me they assumed that whenever there was suffering or whenever there was illness, somebody's sin made it happen? You see, that's exactly what the rabbis taught. The rabbis taught that all suffering was directly attributed to an act of sin, either by the individual or by the individual's parents. And so the disciples, they question Jesus, and this is a question that dominated Jewish thought, right? Whenever someone got sick, they automatically associated it with sin. Now, Jesus in verse 3 makes a very important statement. It says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said, this man is not blind because of sin, this man is a prepared vessel. He is a miracle waiting to happen. He was blind for one reason, so God's glory could be seen in his healing by Jesus Christ. In essence, he was blind for the glory of God. You know, Job's friends tried to tell Job 
that the reason why he was having such problems was because he was such a lousy person, such a sinner. Job could not figure it out. But it was all for God's glory. Even our affliction can be for God's glory. All these things can happen for the glory of God. This was a prepared vessel, a miracle, a miracle waiting to happen. Now, Jesus moves to verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, listen, I'm not going to get into some theological discussion of sin and suffering. Let's get at it and let's heal this man. He says, this man did not sin, nor his parents, but it's that the works of God should be manifest in him. You can imagine the disciples saying, Lord, I have a question. How does this work? But Jesus says, no, let's get to work. Theological dialogue and discussion has its place, but its place is never to stop the work. Jesus is saying, listen, we don't have much time. It's daylight and night is coming. And when night comes, we will not be able to work. Jesus is saying, let's work together, hand in hand, doing the works of God while we have our lives to do it. You know, Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 and 16, he said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Let me put it as simply as I can. We must clean up our lives, get all of the garbage out, get the worldliness out, the compromises out. We must stop wasting our time flirting around with the world. Jesus is saying, get busy. Take hands with me and work for it is night. It is day now, but night is coming. And it's coming fast. Listen, we haven't even begun to tap the potential of what God can do through you, through me. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Where is the power at work? It says, it's within us. There is the power to do the unthinkable within us. And most of us piddle around and do nothing. Now, Jesus comes along and he says, we must work. Put your hand in the hand of Jesus and work. Right? Let some of the stuff in the world just fall off because now is the time to work. Theological dialogue has its place but let's not get into an argument. We've got a blind man here. Let's give him some sight. Let's get our hands in the hands of Jesus Christ. Let's get our lives matched up with him and let's get together and let's just do something. John chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus is saying, the Father put me here to give light to this world. So let's go. You've got a man here who needs light. Let's get him light. Don't you just love the urgency 
in Jesus' attitude. Let's work. We have a blind man here. Let's give him light. <clears throat> you know, for this man, Jesus was light physically. He was going to touch those eyes, those sightless eyes, those motionless eyes, and he was going to reopen those eyes. He was going to recreate those eyes. And that man was about to behold the light of the day, literally. For the first time in his life, he would see the glory of the dawn. He could look at the sky, the sunset, the hills of Jerusalem, the rivers and the valleys. Most of all, he could see the faces of all the people that he loved. But Jesus wasn't only going to open his eyes. He was going to open his soul. Jump down to verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Far more than the light of eyes, Jesus was the light of the soul. He's the only one that can turn the soul's lights on. The world is occupied with people with sightless souls, souls that see nothing. And suddenly, Jesus reaches in there and truth becomes recognizable. And all of a sudden, love is seen, peace is beheld, glory is fully expressed. God becomes real and Jesus Christ comes into focus. The eye of faith sees and understands and the light dawns. And to this blind man, Jesus gave both physical sight and he gave him spiritual sight. Why did Jesus do it? What was the purpose? Well, the purpose of it was for the glory of God. The same purpose for the man's blindness, to bring about the manifest works of God that God might receive the glory. Let's look at the power and quickly see how Jesus did the miracle. We're just going to touch on this. John chapter 9 and verse 6, here's what it says. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. So he's just, he made some clay right there on the ground and put the clay on the man's eyes, put it on the sockets of the man. And then verse 7 says, And said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now what a strange sight. A blind man with mud on his eyes crossing the city of Jerusalem. He went his way, washed, and came what? It simply says, he went, washed, and came back seeing. Listen, for the God who made the universe to create a couple of seeing eyes was nothing. He went, washed, and came back seeing. It was really such a small thing for the Christ who stood one day on the edge of heaven and said, universe exists, and it did. And he came seeing. The man obeyed blindly. He went without any fanfare. He washed his eyes. He opened them and he saw. Now, what was the first thing he saw? Well, the water, probably. And then 
Can you imagine as he looked up? I can't even imagine what's going on in this man's mind. He came seeing. He came seeing where? He came to his home. I mean, where would be the first place you'd want to go? You want to go see the people he loved, and so he came home. And when he gets there, notice the perplexity. He comes running, and he's seeing. And where is Jesus? Well, Jesus is still hurrying away from the crowd that was going to stone him. The blind man comes home, and the neighbors and all those that had known him before he was blind said the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? What is he doing? He's running around, like, and they're wondering, how is it that he can see? They're perplexed. Verse 9 sums it up this way. Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man, right? This is he. That's the guy. He finally says, it's me. I'm he it's me. I'm here. Can you imagine what joy it was for him to say, I am he? And naturally, verse 10 then asks the obvious question. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? Now you notice he's not going to get into a big theological discussion, right? And say, well, the power of God came and he simply says this, verse 11. The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. He gives them just a little detail, very brief, but it's exactly what happened. He doesn't really know who Jesus is. He doesn't really know what's going on. All he knows is this man, Jesus, said, go. And when Jesus told him to go and wash, he went and washed. And he says, and the next thing I knew, I could see. Well, of course, anybody that can do something like that has got to be popular. Verse 12, they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Where's the man, they asked. I don't know, he answered. It wouldn't be long until he would know, because they're going to meet again. And Jesus will find him, and he will not only touch his eyes, but he will touch his sightless soul next time. You say, well, what does that teach us? Well, many things. You know, the perplexity is interesting, isn't it? So may I be so bold as to ask, is the world perplexed because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are your neighbors perplexed? Do they say, that can't be the same person. Is that the one? And you have to say, no, you're right, it's me. Or is your Christianity so well concealed that they don't know any difference anyway? I like the idea that nobody recognized him because that's the way it ought to be when Jesus touches your soul. You ought to be unrecognizable. The world out, the world out there, right, would be in a mass state of confusion about what happened to us. At least it should be. There are lessons here. The lessons are, are we working for Christ? What are we doing? It must grieve Christ's heart when he, he's saying that we must work and we don't. He even asks us to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers into his harvest. But I think the main lesson, however, is this. 
Have you met this Christ? The true light? The one that not only lights the eyes, but the soul? He made your eyes. He lit your eyes when you were born. You see because of Jesus Christ. All things were made by him. He put the light in your eyes. And he wants to put the light in your soul. The ever-sensitive Jesus is passing by today. He's passed by you. Maybe you didn't see him, but he certainly saw you. Maybe he reached down and anointed your eyes, and in sovereign grace he said, I'll give you sight if you'll just obey my word and go and wash. You see, that's the response of faith, isn't it? My friend, if Jesus has touched your eyes, how do you respond? Are you saying, Lord, I'll wash. I believe. Did he touch your eyes? Do you see? And if you don't, you can. By praying, Jesus, just touch my eyes today. Touch your people again today, Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these miracles we find in the Gospels that remind us just how much you care. Father, I pray for those crying out to you right now that you may touch our sightless souls and give us light. Give us an understanding of truth and give us a heart that is receptive to your invitation of eternal life. I pray that you bless each and every viewer in Jesus' name. We've come to that time in our program where we have our special offer. Today's program, we have a wonderful little book, highly requested book. It is called A Pale Horse Rides. We'd love to send you this book free of charge as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. If you'd like to receive this book, pay close attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living Television website www.l4ltv.com That's the Lessons for Living Television website www.l4ltv.com You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030 Simcoe Conlon Post Office Oshawa, Ontario L1G 0A3 That's Post Office Box 27030 Simcoe Conlon Post Office Oshawa, Ontario L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. We've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Thank you so much for watching. Let me remind you of a couple of things in the few moments we have left. L4LTV.com is our website. Check that out. All of our previous programs are on there. You can even make a donation to our ministry if you feel so inclined to do so. Follow me on Instagram, at Santos underscore Bill. Every morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, I post a devotional video. Great way to get your day started. And before we go, 
also visit missionnowcanada.com, which is the overseas humanitarian work we do. Check that out. Maybe you want to join us on an upcoming trip. We are all out of time. Thank you again for joining us. Hope you'll be back with us again next time. We'll see you then. God bless you.